Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod. I'm Paul Jarvis, editor of Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin, and I'm joined by my deputy, Jonathan Davis. Hi, Paul. Today, I'm interviewing Lisa Mitchell, president and chief executive of the Canadian Council for PPPs, or CCPPP. She has over a decade of experience in the Canadian P3 market, having worked as a senior director at Infrastructure Canada, and before that, as a director at PPP Canada. She took up the role at CCPP in December 2021. And as usual, following the conversation, Jonathan and I will pick up on some of the main points. Lisa, thank you very much for joining us today. Good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. I guess a good place to start is what would you say the the big trends that you're seeing in the Canadian P3 space at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I actually think we have quite a bit going on in Canada right now and lots to come as well, too. And, you know, we're expecting new federal funding programs to be unrolled this fall. So that always kind of renews the pipeline and identifies priorities for subnational governments. In Canada, much like other countries, there's an obvious focus on the environment and net zero goals. And that, of course, includes wide-ranging assets that, you know, we're looking for public sector and private sector looking for solutions to deliver those new types of projects. Indigenous participation in those projects is very, very big topic in, in the Canadian context as well. We've got water, wastewater upgrades to meet new standards in 2030 and 2040. So a lot of stuff in that space as well, too, coming down the pike. Train transportation, we're a very big country. So there's always going to be a need to move people and goods and make sure that our systems and networks are, are working. So there's a lot, I think, in terms of trends, in terms of what we might see in projects that will be coming through in the, in the pipeline. But I also think there's quite a bit on the policy side that's happening right now in the, in the Canadian space. We're working very closely with our members, as we have done over our 30-year history, to adapt and evolve the model, take our lessons learned and develop those leading practices. And where we were 30 years ago isn't where we are today. And we've been constantly refining and changing things. So there's a lot of work happening in that space as well, too. And not unlike some of our global counterparts, there's the introduction of new models, whether it be progressive P3s or collaborative models. So I think there's also an opportunity and you know a need to focus on What does that actually mean? What are the differences? Where do they apply? So there's a lot of work that, you know, needs to go in there too, but it's also, you know, a very hot topic for folks. And then as well, too, as we look forward to new asset classes, you know, what are the opportunities in the Canadian context for concession models? You know, we don't have a lot of experience with concession P3s, any projects that have revenue attached to them if they're is any risk transfer. It's generally only partial and there's only a small number of those projects in the Canadian market. So, you know, how do we evolve the market to be able to accommodate those types of projects as well too? And what are the opportunities? So, I mean, I think it sounds that the trends in Canada right now are really wide ranging, but I think there's lots of opportunity both within the pipeline of projects to come, but as well as the opportunity for the industry to really shape and mold the future of the industry and what P3s look like in Canada. Yeah. And Obviously, you mentioned kind of the federal money coming down the line, and that's something that is quite a big issue, I guess, now in North America, obviously, with you know the, the US investment that, that's been coming down the line over the last mm-hmm. 18 months, two years. How do you see kind of what's going on in the US affecting what is happening in, in Canada? It's a big market in the States, and there's a lot of money. So I do think that we, we have to be very mindful of what's what's happening. We have a lot of companies that work in Canada that work cross-border. 
And so, you know, we need to be very aware of what our market continues to look like in terms of private sector participation with such a large amount of opportunities in the States. But I also think what's been interesting about the North American dynamic is I think if you look back 10 years ago, the U.S. very much looked to Canada to, to learn and try to jump into the P3 space. And I think there's still an element of that. But I also think that they, there's jurisdictions in the states that have done really interesting things that Canada is now turning to them and sort of looking and sort of saying, OK, that's actually a really interesting approach. How can we learn from that? So I think that cross-border opportunity to collaborate and learn is really quite strong. But I think, you know, very aware that you know, we are a large landmass, but small population. So very aware of what, you know, is going on south of the border. But I think really committed group of public and private sector industry participants in Canada to, to continue to see the P3 model thrive in this country. So, and I think that's, that's being reflected in some of the work that we've been doing over the past year to, to 18 months. The federal funding, I think, you know, in the Canadian context, they don't own a lot of public infrastructure at the federal level, only about 2%. The bulk of public infrastructure in Canada is owned by the provinces, territories, and municipalities, but they are a significant funder. And that federal funding program comes in a variety of ways. Sometimes it can be just straight per capita transfers, and sometimes it comes with policy objectives attached to it as well, too. So really getting a sense of what that next wave of federal funding looks like can really shape what the pipeline of projects looks like moving forward, depending on what the support is available to subnational governments. Yeah, and you mentioned that obviously you're learning from other jurisdictions, US learning from Canada and, and now vice versa. And probably the biggest area of that at the moment, I guess, would be around the talk of progressive P3s, which is you know, a big mm-hmm. topic in the US and increasingly yes. in Canada. I think it was you know, doing your last year's conference, it was a big issue, you know, lots of questions, lots of panel sessions and things that, that touched on it and discussed it. And, you know, mm-hmm. nailing down what is progressive is still, I think, something that... <laughs> still a thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, you and others I, kind of struggle with. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's, that's, you know, we've heard progressives, we've heard PDAs. We, I mean, there's a lot of acronyms and names out there. And I think really a lot of what we have to do and what we've started to do in terms of working with our our members is really actually bringing some parameters around what it is that we're talking about. I think conceptually, we all understand earlier contractor involvement, but then when you get into the practicalities of what does the procurement strategy look like? When does the private sector and financing become part of the deal? What does a project agreement look like? And how do you know that there's cost certainty? When do you get into a fixed price scenario? And I think that sometimes we use similar words to describe slightly different things. And not to say that that's wrong, but I think we need to do some work on clarifying exactly what that means. And we actually have some workshop sessions dedicated at our conference to work through some of these types of conversations and issues. So really looking forward to engaging with the membership more broadly on that so that we can start, as I said, to bring sort of a a definition or some parameters around what exactly a progressive is. And I think that that's really important in particular for us as we look to expand the Canadian market. And and one area that we're really working, we're really focused on and working with our membership on is tapping back into the municipal sector. It's, there's lots of municipalities in Canada 
they all have different needs, they're different sizes. And so, but there isn't one central location necessarily to get in and kind of talk to them all at once. So we're, we're in the process of developing a bit of a strategy on how to engage with the municipalities a bit more. We've seen some really great municipal projects. And so we know that there's needs out there and, and what are the opportunities and how can we then come and support the municipalities in delivering their projects. So that's another area of focus that we've got underway right now as well. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, really, that sort of moves in nicely to my to my next question, really, to around you know what the CCPPP is focusing on and how it's supporting industry in in different areas. Obviously, you talk about the municipalities, you talk about the communication strategies, obviously really important, and obviously you know, your background is helps with that, I should imagine. But I guess as well yes. within that, then what sort of sectors, I guess, are you sort of focusing on and helping the industry working with? Yeah, so one of the big things that we, we've done, I, I mean, this is the 30th year of the council. Last year was our 30th anniversary of, of the conference. This is the 30th anniversary of the council itself. And I think, you know, there's really an opportunity to build off of the success of the council that has really been built up over that 30 year, the 30 year period. We are really good at a lot of things, our conference networking events and convening people and, and providing opportunities. But given sort of the evolution in the market, I think there's a need for us to sort of rethink some of the the things that the council can do to support our members. So we've actually gone through a bit of a reorganization, we're restructuring, we're bringing in new, some new people. And a, that is really to ensure that we've got the right skill sets and the expertise at the table to help us build out these new business lines. And in particular, some of the areas that we're, we're looking at, it is not necessarily asset class specific, but we need to increase our ability to be the voice of the industry. So more communications, more advocacy and advocacy, meaning, you know, conversations with governments, you know, conversations with municipalities, federal provinces, territories, the federal government, but also advocating in the public domain as well, too. There's a lot of work happening there, and we need to sort of build up the, the capacity internally to do that. But we also are looking at increasing our data and research capacities as well, too, and really looking at what are the needs of the industry to help them solve the problems that they have, whether it be the public or the private sector side of the equation. But also, how do we get a little bit better at harnessing the anecdotal stories that we all know about the benefits of the P3 model and this project had this really great thing and it was really wonderful. How do we get better at documenting that and telling our story a, a bit better? So I think those are some of the things that the council's really, really focused on in terms of supporting the members. Obviously, we, you know, we have our, our annual conference every November. We have really put a lot of time and effort into making sure that the sessions and the content there is really meaningful and gets to the heart of the opportunities and the challenges in the industry and really prompts those discussions. Really want people to come out of sessions in the two days thinking like, that was great. I learned something and I'm excited about the future. So I think that those are some of the, some of the areas. And of course, you know, looking at new opportunities, you know, where are government priorities right now? What types of asset classes and how and when can the P3 model be a tool that governments can turn to is, you know, in particular in the environment and climate change, you've got a lot of different asset classes coming out, whether it's carbon capture or EV charging stations, you know, increasing capacity of the grid. There's a lot of different types of assets there. So I think, you know, a lot of work there to try and figure out, is there room for the model? And if so, where and how does it apply? Yeah. And just on that point, you mentioned in that answer around the data. I think that's quite a, an mm-hmm. interesting and increasingly important thing, isn't it? I think we see a lot of 
sometimes historically the benefits of a PPP have been advocated that on you know the private sector will produce all this data that then they'll be able to kind of have a rolling response to you know improvement and be able to look back at the data and, and work out how they improve going forward. I would suggest mm-hmm. that probably hasn't happened necessarily in all cases over the the last sort of thirty years. So actually prompting that and and sort of trying to establish some sort of data set that you can kind of point to and you know as you mentioned the anecdotal evidence is all well and good mm-hmm. but actually if you can have something that you can point to showing a the benefits and b where things have improved so others can learn from that i think is, is really important isn't it yeah absolutely and it exists it's just a matter of how do we harness it and package it and make it available to people in a way that sort of protects commercial confidentiality, proprietary information. And that's always a big challenge in this space as well, too. But I think one of the big things, there's the development of the pipeline moving forward, but that data, I think, is going to be key to supporting Canada's move towards handback. We're a little bit further behind than the UK market, so it's always beneficial to us to be able to learn from the experience of the you know, countries, you know, what's happening in the UK or countries like Australia, to sort of see and prepare for it. But I do think that that data and the data combined with, I think, harnessing more of the qualitative benefits on top of the quantitative benefits, I think will be really key to supporting that as in, in addition to you know the mechanics of the handback process. So I think it's a key component of what we need to be thinking about as we we prepare for for that and you know the next the next few years. Yes, yeah, and that kind of next stage, which. I mean, Canada in many ways is in a, a quite interesting position there compared to the UK, certainly, where obviously we're in full sort of focus on handback in the UK, or expiry and handback, with no real pipeline of new projects coming along. Whereas obviously Canada, you are working on the two at the same time in many ways at the moment. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Future looking and backward looking all at once. But I do think that there that's an important element for us as well, too, is not only getting... I mean, I think the handback story for us is a bit three-pronged. I think it's the mechanics of what do we need to know about actually getting projects to the finish line and what happens after that. I think a second sort of area of work for us is, as we talked about, that data and research and that storytelling. How do we look back after 25, 30 years and say that value that we said that would be there at the beginning really transpired and here's how? And then I think the third piece is a bit... What is the impact of what we've learned and how does that affect how we move projects forward through the pipeline? So it's not just sort of a singular focus on handback, because I think there's a huge part of what we're about to go through and learn that will impact procurement processes, project agreements and approaches for the pipeline moving forward. On top of that, yeah, we're thinking through the markets evolving. We've got completely non-related to the P3 model, but just general infrastructure market impacts like labor shortages and inflation that we have to think through. We've got new asset classes. We've had some projects that have maybe had some difficulties along the way that we maybe need to do a bit of a stock take and adjust. So there's quite a bit. I think we started the conversation with what are the trends? I think we're there's a lot. There's a lot happening, but I think it's exciting. And it's just a matter of finding the appropriate ways for us to really kind of make the engagements with our members and the work that we do really meaningful and impactful. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of alluded to some of the sort of headwinds there as well. And I guess, well, going back to your opening speech, actually, at the conference last year, you talked about some of the political headwinds. And again, going back to the the narrative around needing to have a clear 
strategy in terms of communication and communicating the benefits. So given that there are now perhaps more political headwinds facing the PVP market than there were five, ten years ago in Canada, I guess, number one, why do you think this is the case and what's happening to combat that? Oh, why is it the case? I mean, that's a, that's a big question because I think there's there's a variety of things. You know, I think in the Canadian context, I mean, it's no secret we've had some challenges. You just have to pick up just a general local newspaper in some cities and you'll hear about a project that's having some challenges. And, and again, that's not always related to the model, but we tend to get pulled in as part of the dialogue, I think sometimes unnecessarily, but it is what it is. So we've seen some market changes. I mean, and, and I mentioned this a little bit in my speech in November, I think you know, the dissolution of PPP Canada left a little bit of a gap in the municipal market in particular. So there's opportunity for growth there. We have moved into, for the first time over the past five to 10 years, multi-billion dollar projects. We'd never had projects that large before, really. We were mostly in sort of that, you know, one to $800 million spot. And that the largeness and the complexities around some of those projects, I think we're, we're learning about just the delivery of those types of projects, particular in transit. We're not necessarily in a build it, they will come scenario. We're actually in catch up mode. So we're doing these projects in, in existing downtown corridors. And that makes it inherently complicated and complex, which has, again, has nothing to do with the model. But how do we take those lessons learned? We've now got multi-billion dollar hospitals coming in a number of areas. I mean, in addition to that, we've got post-COVID recovery, we've got inflation, we've got labor shortages, as I mentioned before, and it's a bit of a perfect storm of things happening all at once, you know, and that, you know, add on to that, the introduction of some new models, whether they be progressives or collaboratives, where I think there's still a lack of clarity on how they work. And that, that just makes the toolbox that much bigger and the options that much greater to, to government. So I think there's a lot happening. But I'd say that that's really catalyzed the market to come together and have the conversations that need to be had in terms of, okay, how do we evolve and how do we adapt? So I think with all difficulties, I think really come opportunities. And I think that the Canadian market is really stepping up to work together, both public and private, to find solutions and to you know, recognizing that the benefits exist. And the reason that we got into this in the first place, that sort of life cycling approach, that value to taxpayers, that that hasn't gone away. We just need to make adjustments along the way, I think has really been something to watch. And, and people have really sort of rallied to the call. You know, in some other areas, some of the headwinds, I mean, you mentioned political headwinds. I mean, there is a subset of Canadians that are not keen on P3s. They disagree with the approach for whatever the reason. And I'm not sure for some of them that will ever change. And it does impact our pipeline. You know, you can see that, you know, in terms of some of the prov at the provincial level, sometimes a little bit of a, a slowdown or a stoppage of the use of the model in certain circumstances. And I think, you know, we can live with that. We can understand it. The concern for me is that it can put a lot of misinformation out into the public domain about what P3s are, about how they work. They generally never talk about what the benefits benefits are. So I think you know, difficulties always present opportunities. And it goes back a little bit to what I was saying about sort of the council's role in supporting. We need to get better at telling our story and being a bit louder in terms of standing up for the model and how it has actually supported Canadians with a variety of assets. And, and you know, Canadians generally just want their infrastructure to work. They expect the bus to come. They expect the roads to be paved and to not have potholes after winter. And they expect to have, you know, a hospital to be able to go to in an emergency. And they don't generally think about how it was procured. But there are good news stories there that we can tell. So we are doing more 
to champion the the model in the industry and combat those types of conversations that are happening in the public domain. And again, it links back to things that you and I've talked about before, the more data, more research to t- sort of talk about, you know, the those proof points to say, it's not just, you know, us saying it works, here's actually the evidence of that. So yeah, I mean, it goes without saying there are definitely difficulties and, you know, headwinds in the Canadian market, but we're navigating them for sure. Mm. And yeah, obviously, your role is critical to that, as you just mentioned really and i think if you look at you said earlier about you know taking the experience from the uk market and i think that's probably an area we didn't do enough in the uk there was no kind of similar or equivalent body really that was kind of providing that educational aspect really between the market and governments and the the politicians and and the kind of and getting that and and even the journalists regular journalists out in the, the mainstream press who are only seeing often one side of a, a story and yeah, actually having that counter narrative. And I know you've been quite strong in putting out statements, particularly around you know certain issues where there have been articles in the press that aren't necessarily accurate and putting the counter argument through is really important, isn't it? Otherwise people only ever hear the, the one side of that story. It is. And a- absolutely. And the model, it's complicated to explain to people. I'm a great time at dinner parties trying to tell people what I do for a living. But it is important to find a way to make something that is quite complex, a procurement strategy to deliver public infrastructure, and drill that down to a real clear understanding of why involving the private sector through the life cycle and with their capital at risk is so important and so beneficial to the people that use the services. And so we're putting a lot of time and effort into making sure that we're able to do that. It's, you know, not for me to get involved in project specific conversations, but anytime sort of someone drags some of the the issues or challenges they might see with a project into a, a discussion around the model, I think that's an opportunity for us really to come forward and sort of say, like, hang on a minute, there's more to the story than perhaps what's laid out in this one article. So we've been working really closely with internally with my director of strategic communications and our communications committee to make sure that, you know, we're real time responding to this to make sure that that both sides of the story are are available to the public to make their own decisions about. Yeah. And so I guess finally, really, looking at a more positive maybe outlook, but what do you think the future holds then for both the market and CCPPP? Yeah, I think the future is bright. I mean, that might sound a bit cliche, but I really do. And I think there's a lot going on. There's forward looking, there's backward looking, there's preparing for handback, there's adjusting the model. There's number of sort of threads that are happening in terms of the work that, that we're doing, the conversations we're having with our members. But in that speech that you referred to earlier, I also put a challenge out to our membership or a request for them to really come to the table, to have the difficult conversations to become engaged and really help support the future of the industry. And I will tell you, the response has been fantastic. We have created new opportunities through committees and advisory groups for folks to come to the table and provide their input and help shape the future of the council to have to help shape the future of the model and how we adapt and evolve. That reaction, I think, really gives me a lot of hope that we're we're setting ourselves in good footing for what the future pipeline might look like. And but there's a lot of work to do. We've still got a lot to do. And, you know, the, all of this is navigating, you know, new asset classes that are coming to the fore as well, too. But people are both sides of the equation, both our public sector and private sector members are very keen to be engaged, which I think is is fantastic. And I think means that they, we have a great future for the P3 model in Canada. As I said, though, there are some unknowns for us right now. The federal funding program that'll come out that the Minister of Infrastructure federally announced will be coming out this fall. We're really keen to see what that looks like. 
they had started the process of a national infrastructure assessment under the previous Minister of Infrastructure. We're really hoping that there's more information on that and update on where that might be going. I think that is a really valuable tool for the industry writ large to have sort of that national perspective on what Canada's needs are. We talked about, you know, handback. So there's lots of work that we're going to need to do there. So, you know, I think we've, we've touched on most of the threads of what we're up to. And I really think that the council in terms of the, the new folks that we're bringing in, the new activities that we're, we're undertaking, I think we're setting ourselves up to be in the best possible place to respond to the needs of our members and to ensure that, you know, we're responding not only to their needs, but to the needs of the market and supporting their future. That's great. We are unique. You mentioned that. I mean, there's not a lot of organizations like us that have both public and private sector at the table on a regular basis. So it is it is a bit unique, and I really want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can with those, those that set of circumstances to support them. Well, that's great. And yeah, really positive note on which to finish, I think, around the, the call to action. And uh, yeah, well, we so. look forward as well to what the call to action might be in November this year in your, your next speech. So yeah, look forward to that. Yeah, the conference is shaping up. It's the 13th and 14th of November, our, our program, where we've got not all of it yet, but a large portion of it up on our website. And I think the sessions are really actually shaping up to be, they're going to be very engaging. They're very topical. We've got a great set of speakers lined up. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. Great. Well, yeah, look forward to that too. And thanks very much for your time, Lisa. Great. Thanks so much. It was great talking. So Jonathan, what stood out for you in that conversation? Really enjoyed hearing Lisa's vantage point for public-private partnerships in Canada because it is at a different point to a lot of the other jurisdictions that we follow closely, particularly with the UK approaching expiry and Lisa touches on that and also with America and their kind of burgeoning pipeline. Canada's in the middle of those two with both the end in sight for the original ones and new potential pipelines emerging too. So seeing how they manage that turning point, I thought was fascinating. And a big part of that is to look backwards and study that what's been successful, perhaps what hasn't been successful, and to apply those to the next generation. Because there is a lot in play, particularly with the models of public progressive P3s coming down the line. We saw the role of F&M changing in new contracts. So there's a lot in play. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've talked before, haven't we, about Infrastructure Ontario in particular being sort of quite at the forefront of this area in terms of playing around with the model, playing around with different elements of DBF, O&M, taking bits out, adding bits in as and where they see fit. And I think that's going to be a big part of the market going forward for Canada. Yeah, definitely. One thing Lisa said is that they need to adapt and evolve the model and refining it and changing it. And I thought, It was particularly interesting to see that the type of authority who might be using it could be changing as well. We're used to the really strong pipelines from Ontario, but other provinces, it's in flux. The usage of the model is perhaps more particular on certain sectors or even in some cases just being reduced as a whole. But in opposition to that, you've also got, as she mentioned, municipalities coming forward and the size of those projects could require a different set of skills. I know you've written about smaller projects in the P3 at the municipal level in the Americas, but also we now have these multi-billion dollar projects and they are a completely different kettle of fish to what Canadian PPP industry has been used to over the last, say, 20 years. So 
lots of lessons to learn. But I think one of the particular points that she made on supporting learning those lessons is the role of data and research, which is something that we hear quite a lot. Yes. And in fact, we've got a podcast coming up on that very issue, haven't we? With the next one being an interview that you're doing with someone who's kind of looked into the data behind some of these projects. And it is. And I think Lisa is kind of well positioned here in her background, as I mentioned in the interview, you know, with her background being in communications. I think there's quite a big element there around the data on the one hand, but also being able to communicate that effectively to different people so that people can make informed decisions and particularly those authorities, as you mentioned. And again, as Lisa mentioned in the interview, there are some authorities there that have decided for whatever reason not to go down a PVP route and have sort of pulled away from that. And I think some of that is political in many cases. But actually, if you are able to come along with a clear vision and case and explanation of the benefits of the model, then it's harder for people to just sort of turn their back and say, no, we don't like that. Actually, it's one option and you can say, well, we don't like it for this project for a particular reason, but it's much harder to just have a blanket policy of saying, no, that's that's not the way we're going. Yeah, and that's what makes the Canadian market particularly interesting. It's at that stage where it has the strong history and a good track record of successful project delivery But it is also, as I said, in that moment of change and telling the story of that is the phrase that Lisa used. Because we do see, say, in the UK, we have the history, but we definitely don't have the story. And in the United States, it's the other way around where there isn't that strong history, but there is a lot of optimism towards the model, particularly with the really strong legislative movements that have happened over the last year or so. But as you said, it really does depend on there being that objective, strong, practical advice that you can go to authorities who might be considering it for the first time and perhaps hear the horror stories that happen in the newspapers, which can often be, as Lisa mentioned, misinformation around what the model does and how it transfers risk and the roles and all the different versions of it. That There has to be some strong communication effort to just get down to the basics and to the facts. And I think CCPPP's role in doing that in Canada is really, really useful, particularly since PPP Canada has dissolved, that strong central push has gone. And so someone does need to come and fill the gap and help, as you said, tell the story of what PPPs can do. Yeah. And I think, as you said, there is no other organization quite like them probably anywhere in the world. And having that strong voice and being able to respond to the misinformation when it happens and making sure they're on top of that is perhaps, I think, one of the reasons why the Canadian market has remained pretty strong throughout the past few decades and actually you know, hasn't gone the way of perhaps the UK market where the negative stories have managed to kind of snowball to a level where it's kind of almost impossible to use the you know, phrase, certainly PFI, without you know, and a huge amount of criticism coming your way. So, you know, maybe that's somewhere where they are doing, a, I think, a good job. Totally. I'm, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the expiry element of your conversation, because that is particularly one in the UK where it's fraught with tension. Whereas Lisa spoke about it as an opportunity for learning and recalibrating and seeing projects under the whole life cycle, which is kind of what you think it would be like. What was your takeaway from that? Yeah, well, I think she mentioned, didn't she, that the uh, Canadian market has benefited quite a lot along the way 
from picking up on what the UK is doing and other jurisdictions that are perhaps ahead of them, as you mentioned Australia as well, where they're further down the line. And so they're able to sort of look to those markets and say, well, actually, let's not make those mistakes. And I think looking at handback now is part of that, really, because the UK really has only just started to think hard about handback, even though you know, there are many projects that are handing back now or have done in, you know, in the last few years. And there are many more coming down the line. Canada is at a, a bit further out than us. They've got a few projects that are close to handback, but not as many as the UK. So actually looking at that issue now makes a lot more sense. And again, hopefully they'll be able to have the conversations now in a more, I guess, relaxed way than the tension that comes in when you're getting really close to the to the handback deadline. Yeah, then there's a lot of opportunities to be had as you approach handback as well, whether that is recycling the assets or trying to implement changes whether that is environmental changes to existing projects there are opportunities there which if you can maintain that strong culture of working together as a public-private partnership should be or is designed to be again it's just another avenue for some real impact to be made through these projects but pivoting then to completely new areas like progressive p3s it was really, I thought, fascinating to see. And we saw this at CCPPP. I think Lisa did moderate the conference on this, on trying to get to the bottom of what progressive P3s actually are and defining what each model means and the implications of that. Because whilst they're also new, they are actually being used. So trying to get to the bottom of that, I think, is a really interesting pursuit because, I mean, where do you begin? The variety of projects they're used for and the idiosyncrasies of the projects that they're used for make them very very difficult things to contrast and compare but we need to get our head around them as an industry so that they can be used on the appropriate projects and not perhaps where they're not supposed to be used yes definitely well thank you very much for that jonathan it was a good conversation and thanks to lisa for a really interesting dive into the canadian market 